hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest is someone who I am just so thrilled to have a chance to speak with. I met him because he serves on the board of directors of EXP World Holdings, which is our parent company, but he's also a top international philanthropist and entrepreneur, having trained, listen to this now, over a million people in 50 countries. Darren Jacqueline, welcome to the show. And I just can't believe just that introduction. It's going to be a great conversation. I'm grateful to be here, Michael. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, this is going to be fantastic. And you know, you know, you're so much of a global citizen and I have been so blessed with this podcast. We're now in 60 countries, I think, or something like that. And there's a lot of um, the messages and the stories that we tell in this podcast are really, really um, for me, an honor to be able to speak to my friends and colleagues and people that I admire. And I have to tell you, as I was doing the research on you for this podcast, you're probably one of the greatest stories that I'm really looking forward to sharing and, and talking to and having that journey. You're an amazing human being, Darren. And, you know, I've, I've got to tell you, it's, it, it, it is, it's going to be such an honor to sort of have this conversation with you. I'm humbled to be here and to be in service. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, success leaves clues. And I've had uh, a lot of adversities and failures and challenges and setbacks throughout my life, which I'm blessed now with gratitude as I look back and reflect on it. And hopefully I can be in service today and make a difference in other people's lives. You know, and, and I have to tell you, you're always like the first person to pick up the phone and praise somebody and the first person to send a text. And, you know, you've done it not only for me, but for my colleagues, people on my team. Everyone sort of says, God, that Darren's a really nice guy. And so, <laughs> you know, you serve as a great inspiration to others. But, it, it, you know, you alluded to it just now. It wasn't always the case. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the early days, please? Yeah. So I grew up in a middle income family in Canada, a little small city of less than 20,000 people in population, a city called Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada, you know, grew up in a middle income family, um, went to public school. I failed grade one of public school and was misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability in grade one. And so I was set back and I was, it was determined that because I was a slow learner and not like the normal kids that I would be put into special education classes. So from grade one to grade 12 of public school, I went to special education class. So I never went to regular school like uh, all the other, let's say normal kids, regular kids in my neighborhood, in my community. So I had to adapt at a very young age uh, in terms of looking at the world much differently because I had all these labels that were put upon me by professionals in the academic and education world and different parents and my parents, you know, they were just conforming with the school system. So, you know, at a young age, I learned to adapt much differently than the regular kids did. So by the time I was seven years of age, I created my first little company called Rent-A-Kid. And I would go out and I would cut grass. I would shovel snow in the winter times and deliver newspapers six days a week. And, uh, you know, by the time I was nine years of age, I hired two of my best friends in my neighborhood with my rent-a-kid business to go out and do these odd jobs. And I always found that as a kid, if I ever wanted something, the key thing was to be in service to other people. Because, you know, if we look at human beings today, all we are is a network of conversations. That's all we are. We're just a network of conversations. Anything that we really, really, really want in our lives is going to come from strangers. So as a kid, I would go out and knock on doors 
And I was a kid that would always sell my Halloween candy, you know, at school and then make the money from selling my Halloween candy out of my school locker. And then I would go buy cosmetics and lipstick and stuff like that from the store. And then I would sell them to the pretty girls in school. And I would get a three, <laughs> four, five X return on my money in about two to three weeks time. And then I would leverage that money. And so uh, I had to get creative as a kid because nobody ever believed me. I was always the kid that was always picked last on any sports team. You know, I was, I was the rejected kid. I was the kid that was never going to go anywhere, never succeed. And, you know, I, I was invisible. I felt aloof. I felt I was never, ever good enough. I never mattered in the world. Um, you know, who am I? Like, I just felt I was just this, this kid that just did not matter to the world. And so I internalized a lot of things and compartmentalized a lot of things. And I looked at the world much differently. And so I realized as I got older, that was all about relationships. It wasn't, it wasn't about being transactional. It was about being relational. And, and, you know, as I went through elementary school, then junior high and high school, I got really creative realizing in terms of strategically was that I thought, you know what? Um, I'm not the smartest kid in this school. I'm probably the dumbest kid, you know, that I'm labeled, but I can hire the smart kids. And that's what I've taken into my adult life now where, you know, I'm building companies. I invest in companies. I do a lot of different things throughout the world and I'm grateful, but I know how to build teams and structure and strategize and scale things now because I know how to put the right people in the right place based on their personality style, the background, their history, their experience. And do they really have the, you know, the, the core values and the energy to make things work? And then what's their focus, their mission, their self-discipline? And that's something I'm really good at is, is I'm really good at perseverance and I'm really, come, I'm really, really, really good at overcoming adversities because I've had so many adversities and challenges and, uh, you know, mislabeling. So when I see people, um, I always see people like yourself, Michael, I see you and people I have not even met yet on this podcast. I see them bigger than themselves because I know what it's like to feel really small in the world. I know what it's like to be labeled with all these things. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that's not who I am. That's not me. What, why, why are these professional people saying that I'm this and I'm not that? And so, um, interesting backstory, but uh, yeah, I barely passed public high school and then I left high school. Yeah. And then I did multiple suicide attempts to end my life because I had no direction. I had no focus. I had no purpose. And that really, really changed my life as well. Damn it. Hold on. We're going to break this down because you're an incredible, inspirational soul. And I've got to tell you, brother, you have the most amazing story. And, you know, even, even, even like from the very beginning, when you start looking at being misdiagnosed, right, with a learning disability and, and, and doing all of this special ed and you're labeled, as you said, but then at the same time, you're, you're like this genius kid who started as an entrepreneur at age seven, right? And mm-hmm. start looking at this and it's sort of like, hold on a second. They're, they're, that's, that's sort of like, that doesn't fit into the label. Yes. And so you start having these um, sort of polar opposite conversations in your head. Someone's telling you something, but you're telling yourself something different. And you're allowing yourself to do it, even if you didn't know it as a seven-year-old kid. When you look back in hindsight, it's the fact that it was always your inner voice that was the strongest voice, even if everything else around you externally was just really noise at that point. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it was so interesting. And, and I realized later on in school that I could actually leverage this and strategize this to actually just stay in special education because I realized the responsibility of these other students that had homework and, you know, all this accountability. I'm thinking, man, I just want to go out there and, and, 
you know, be this entrepreneur kid. I didn't know it was entrepreneurship back then, yeah. but I was just fascinated by, it. and I got, you know, I got, I got recognized by people in my community. I remember, you know, in the small city of less than 20,000 people, by the time I was 10 years old, I was getting recognized by the mayor in my small city. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really cool. But I, I was just fascinated by business and I was fascinated by, you know, making a difference to other people's lives and solving problems. And I realized that in business or, you know, if I wanted a new bicycle or I wanted something, I just had to go solve a problem in my community or my neighborhood. And as a fair means of exchange, I would get monetary value for that. And I just, I just, I just love that. And I've never been motivated by money. I've always been motivated by opportunities mm. and living life on my own terms. Because I never got to, as a kid, live life on my own terms. I was always told what to do. And I don't make a good employee because I don't like today being told what to do. Because all my <laughs> life, I had to conform and was being told what to do. Right, right. You know, something you said was really, really prophetic already in the first six minutes of this podcast. Um, that the fact that we're our network of conversations. That's all we are, is a network of conversations. And I think that that's an incredibly powerful statement and, and the way to look at this. And so, when you're sort of looking back, right, and you're sort of like saying that a lot of your motivation came from telling people telling you that you couldn't do something, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you're like, I'm going to prove these people wrong. But that could turn, same scenario, that could turn some people really angry. Yet, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're incredibly affable. You're incredibly kind. You're, you're actually one of the kindest people that I know, Darren. And how does that, I don't know, perspective shift for you? Because it had to at some point sort of, you know, even if you did it as a child, you did it probably not knowing. At some point, it has to be a very cognizant choice. Absolutely, yeah. I think at a young age, I realized that... Um, you know, that the way to get around and get through the world was to be in service to other people, to be a go-giver, not a go-getter. Mm. And I found that it was kind to people when I was in, and I didn't know what integrity meant, but when my, you know, when I was moving my feet, not my lips, because it's interesting is when I was growing up, I saw a lot of people talk, but then not move their feet in terms of their actions. And it was, it was really fascinating for me because here I was this kid that I was in school, but I was actually watching this, you know, as everybody around me was like extras in my own movie, I got a chance to watch and observe human behavior right in front of me. Like people tell me I was this and tell me I was that. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not that. And it was really interesting realizing that I just thought, wow, if, if anything I really want in my life, if I just go out there and be in service to other people and I build teams and teamwork, I can do extraordinary things. And, you know, because... Throughout my life, I was always pretending I was a team player, but really I was doing life by myself. And that was, I was always pretending it was an inauthenticity of myself. And I realized, I think at a young age, I really got to discover what authenticity was. And, and um, you know, I struggled with vulnerability throughout my life because I compartmentalized that. I learned to um, suppress and push down my emotions. And in my adult life through therapist and coaching and mentoring and taking courses, I learned how to learn how to express that now in my later years. But it's interesting that how I learned how to discover, like just watching, observing people was thinking, okay, if I really want something, it's all about going out there and taking action and, and, and having conversations with other people and creating possibilities with other people. Because all we are is like a network of conversations. And that's all it is. And I think another thing in terms of a strategy, which I've really accelerated at and mastered, and if people take this on their life, watch how your results in your personal life change. First of all, is number one is um, if we look at children, children are request-making machines. They're always, always, always making requests. 
right? You go to a grocery store, kids are always making requests for a chocolate bar or candy. And so what I discovered at a very young age is, is making requests. And when I make a request of another human being, that person will either accept the request, they'll decline the request, or they'll counter offer the request. But for every question that I don't ask or every request that I don't make, the answer will always be no. And so why not let people powerfully choose to accept, decline, or counter offer? And mm. one thing I discovered is that when I make a request, if someone declines my request, it's not in a personal rejection. Because a lot of people don't want to be rejected. And myself, I didn't, I didn't like being rejected when I was a kid either, right? It really affected my self-worth. But what I discovered through making lots and lots of requests is that when someone declines my request, it's just a decline to my request. And so one thing I really discovered was I would take a look at my life and, and ask myself these two questions. And I highly encourage you to write down these two questions. These are powerful questions that really can make a huge contribution to your life. Number one is, where am I not requesting in my life? So if you just take a look and just do an observation of your life and just look at your life, explore into your life, where are you not making requests personally or professionally? And, and just look at you know things on your to-do list, things that you're time crunched with. Those are areas of your life where you associate pain versus pleasure to um, not making requests. And then the second question is, who do I become as a human being when I don't make requests? Well, we play very small. We contract. We, we're not expanding. We're not coming from abundance and prosperity. We're coming more from lack and scarcity when we're not making requests. Because people love to give to other people, right? You see people all the time helping out strangers and doing acts of service and random acts of kindness. So people want to do good because it feels good. It gives us a dopamine fix, right? We feel that. So why not, if, if people want to promote their business or they want to get referrals or they want to get a promotion, whatever it is, they want to start dating, whatever it is in their personal life, start making requests and not be attached to the outcome of whether someone accepts it, declines it, or counteroffers it. And, 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 but, as, but as adults, we want to look good. We've got this image. We've got this ego. Whereas to me, I'm just like playing games. And I think even in my life today, what I do is I'm always playing games because if we watch children on the playground or at schools, they're always playing game and they're living in the present moment. They're living in the now. And I, in life today, I just create, when I create projects or I build companies, I play games within that opportunity. And because in playing games, it enrolls people, people get inspired, people have a lot of fun, but then they're not attached to whether, hey, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? And then that inner voice or that inner critic of that mindset in our head is then talking to us because most people take themselves out of the game before the game has even begun. And the, the challenge is that most people, they never even start, right? And, and most people show up in a game the way they show up in their life. It's just a mirror to their life. And so, Start playing games in your life. If you want to achieve something or achieve goals or dreams or things in your bucket list, turn it into a game. And by playing a game, you'll have a lot of fun with it. You know, now I know why you've touched over a million people. This is powerful yeah. stuff, Darren. It's like, just think about this for everyone listening. Two questions. Where am I not requesting in my life? And who do I become as a human being? when I don't request. That's incredibly powerful, brother. It's amazing. It will so, transform somebody's life when they use these questions. You know, and, 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 you know, and you mentioned The Go-Giver. It's one of my favorite books. It's really such a great story when you start looking at this thing. And it it's really is about those laws in nature, about the fact that it, the more that you give, 
is how you as a human being then are able to have a platform to to give more. And it's always that sense of servitude, but servitude with humility. And it's the thing that's really been a, a, a laser focus. And that's what I tell anyone who will listen to me on it. And it's what in, in, in my just very humble sort of uh, um, existence and, and, and in what success I've reached in my career, it's always been that. It's always been how can I help others and how can this be of service to others? And even, even if we look at it from a business perspective with EXP, you know, it, 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 it's the idea of, of getting this, this message and this platform to as many people as possible because you know it changes lives. And that's Absolutely. the impetus, right? And so it, it, it's really sort of like amazing. So I love that. And I want to go back to your little bit more in your in your childhood. So you mentioned that you were um, misdiagnosed as, as a child with a learning disability, disability and you felt, um, in your words, awkward and invisible in school. And, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of listeners around the globe that can relate to feelings like this. And, you know, you even intimated earlier that uh, there were even suicide attempts. And, you know, I... I um, I really thank you for your candor and your courage in having that discussion here. And I really want to know what conversation gets reprogrammed in yourself to get from where you were then to where you are now, where you've consulted 157 of the top Fortune 500 companies. How does that get changed? What's the reprogramming in that language? Well, you know, it's interesting. So I, on my final, my final suicide attempt, I was driving my car at 85 miles an hour, 140 kilometers an hour towards a telephone pole. And I actually premeditated this over several months. I used to visualize suicide. And my final attempt, I remember stopping my car and then saying, I just couldn't do this. And so I drove like a 20 minute drive to this nonprofit organization that was this crisis line, 24 hour crisis line rang the doorbell, walked into the office, and I turned myself in. And then they started offering me counseling service. And a lady there um, then referred me to a Dale Carnegie training program. And wow. I, I didn't know what Dale Carnegie training was, had no idea. You know, he wrote a best-selling book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is I highly recommend. And so, I actually ended up going to this hotel one night, uh, didn't know anybody, was way out of my comfort zone, totally terrified and scared. Uh, you know, sweating inside and shaking. And, and so I went there and, and it was an, actually an introduction to a Dale Carnegie training program. And I was so terrified because I was so out of my comfort zone being in a room full of complete strangers. And, you know, these people are positive and they're interacting and they're laughing, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, well, I'm just not one of them, right? I'm just, you know, internally, I was just hurting inside. And so they asked me if I wanted to uh, register for the Dale Carnegie training program. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't have any money. And I ended up financing it for $100 a month over a course of a year. It was $1,200 at the time. And through the Dale Carnegie training program, I started to discover for myself different ways to the training development. And then I met a lady in there uh, in the Dale Carnegie program who was a school teacher. And uh, Eleanor Hatton was her name. She's passed away now. And this interesting, this lady referred me to come with her one night to a Toastmasters meeting. And I didn't know what the heck Toastmasters International was which is one of the largest, I think it's the largest uh, 
public speaking organization in the world right now in many countries all over the planet. So I went there and, and the breakthrough for me was, and this is how the journey unfolded for me, Michael, was I went there as a guest one night to the Toastmasters meeting. I stood up to introduce myself to the other Toastmaster members and I forgot my name. I was so scared and so nervous. I forgot my name. Even though I was wearing a name tag, I forgot my name. And the guy beside me says, that's why you need Toastmasters. And I'm just like, wow. So I sat down. And so I, I was in Toastmasters. My first icebreaker speech was a three to five minute speech a few weeks later after I became a, pay, a member. And I was so terrified. I actually pulled the alarm the fire alarm in the hotel to see if I could evacuate the hotel. I actually did a risk mitigation thing in my head thinking, okay, what's worst case scenario? The fire department's going to come. I'm going to get fined. I probably won't get a criminal record. I probably won't go to jail. I'll just get a fine. But you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll pay the fine off rather than have to do my speech and embarrass myself and look stupid and go through all this pain and not sleep tonight because I'll be so stressed out. So I did this whole risk mitigation strategy in my head and I pulled the fire alarm. It was an internal alarm in the, in the hotel. So the alarm didn't evacuate all the hotel guests. And so I had to do my presentation. But what happened was this lady by the name of Sue Urquhart, who was a member, uh, older lady, it was in my Toastmasters club. One day she was the general evaluator and she said, I want to pause for a moment and I want to give special acknowledgement and recognition to one of our members, Darren Jacklin. And then she spotlighted me in the group. And I was like, well, I was like, wow, I was scared, right? Because I'm being seen. I'm being acknowledged because as a kid grew up in school, I never got that attention. I was always, a, you know, the kid that was, you know, picked last for everything and never got acknowledged or recognized, always a class clown, always disruptive. And I was getting some positive recognition. And she said, I believe that this Toastmasters Club could develop Darren to become a world-class uh, professional speaker and influencer around the world. And she believed more in me than I believed in myself. It was the first time I saw a possibility that somebody actually believed in me. Somebody saw me for who I am, my value, my worth as a human being. And that, that was transformational. And I actually called Sue Urquhart just a few years ago to acknowledge her and thank her. Uh, that because of what she said, that one day, that one moment in time, transformed the lives of me training, developing over a million people in 50 countries around the planet. That woman today is responsible for a huge ripple of impact because at that moment, she believed more in me than I believed in myself. And, and that's the biggest thing is, and that, and that started me on the personal professional development training where I started to read books. I started to go to, you know, cause I was always labeled, you know, I couldn't read or write. I had learning disabilities, reading disabilities. So I had to overcome that negative self-talk and these labels that people put on me. And so through Toastmasters, through Dale Carnegie, and through going to the public library and starting to read books and then getting around different mentors and then going to Rotary Clubs, Women in Business, Chamber of Commerce groups, guest speaking through the Toastmasters, uh, that developed my self-confidence. But the key thing I learned was that our environment is stronger than our willpower. And so I remember one day I sat down, Michael, with one of my mentors, and this gentleman had a grade three formal education, and he lived off his money's interest, interest. He was a very ultra high net worth uh, man. And he said to me one day, he said to me, he said, Darren, he said, um, who are your five closest friends? I want you to write it down on the napkin in the restaurant. So I wrote down on the napkin in the restaurant, my five closest friends, their names. And he said to me, he said, okay, great. And he went one by one through the list. And he said, Darren, he said, you know what? All your financial friends are financially broke. And so are you. He goes, Darren, if you hang out with four financially broke friends, you'll become the fifth. And he said, you know, it's the law of association. And, and it really discovered like whether you want to get better health, you want to have better relationships, better finances, you want to accelerate, your environment's always stronger than your willpower. And so he started to really train and develop me on mindset and mental toughness and focus. And then what I really discovered 
which really transformed and changed my life was that if, if whatever you want to do in your life, if it's not scheduled in your calendar, it doesn't exist in your life because you didn't bring it into existence. It doesn't live anywhere in your life. So for people who say to me all the time, they go, Darren, I want to make more money. So great, open up your calendar and show me over the next week where you have revenue generating activities. You want to earn passive income? Great. Where do you where do you have passive income planning time scheduled and structured into your calendar? You want to get in better physical shape? You want to go on date nights? You want to travel and go different places? Great. Where is it scheduled into your calendar? Because if it's not scheduled in your calendar, it does not exist in your life. So I really got related at a very young age to my calendar and to really be obsessed with my calendar because my calendar then manages my time. And then what I discovered was by being around a lot of influential people, different men and women, was their success came down to two big things as a commonality, their daily habits and their daily routines. If you look at any high-performance person in business, politics, sports, religion, finances, pick any, any industry, uh, you know, personally, professionally, and it's their daily habits and their daily routines that are linked to their calendar during the waking hours of their day. And so I learned how to master that in terms of daily disciplines, daily focuses. Um, for example, I struggled with learning and reading as a kid, right? And so I met a gentleman one time who said to me as a mentor, he said, Darren, I know that you have a belief that you cannot read. And I'm like, yeah. And he said, here's what I want you to do. He goes, Darren, I'm dyslexic. He said, but I want you to learn how to read 10 pages a day of a good book that will elevate your life. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, Darren, let's run the numbers. He goes, if you just read 10 pages a day times 365 days in a calendar year, that's approximately 3,650 pages, which is equivalent to about 12 to 15 books a year cover to cover. He goes, Darren, if you just read 10 pages a day, it's easy to do to read 10 pages a day. It's also easy not to do reading 10 pages a day. And he goes, that's the difference. It's easy to do and it's easy not to do. Because if you just commit to just reading 10 pages a day over a course of five years, you will be number one or number two or number three in your respected industry. And so I just became obsessed with reading 10 pages a day commitment. And now today with Audible, we can listen to audiobooks while we're driving or on an airplane or we're in transit or at the gym working out. And so I'm obsessed. So I read on average about 60 books a year now. And I was a kid that was told I'd never, ever be able to read. And so I just learned to become really focused and really self-disciplined in those areas by just fundamentally just following systems and strategies and daily habits that consistently come out over a period of time, change the results. I don't even know where to start with that one. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is, you know, a, a, a life changing conversation that is something that, I feel so privileged to be able to be sitting on the other side of this microphone and just being able to have this conversation with you, Darren. You are, um, it's really the, the amount of motivation that you bring to so many people. And the, the basic sort of knowledge that you're giving to people, it is a life-changing conversation. And I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on you in here, but you're, you're sharing the secrets. You're, you, you really are, you know, you, you went from, you went from being homeless to having multiple homes, right? You went from being hopeless to inspiring over a million people from being broke to having a family personal foundation that builds schools in Uganda. Um, So, you know, give me, three things that you think are your skill sets that you possess that allow this amazing, powerful journey and transformation for you? 
I would say one would be I'm, I'm very good at connecting deeply with other human beings from all walks of humanity, from complete strangers. Like I, I learned how to, you know, just be authentic and vulnerable with other human beings. And I've realized that no matter who you are, no matter what walk of life, no matter where you live on the planet, every human being is dealing with something in their lives. Something is going on in their personal lives that they're dealing with. It could be, um, it could be a mental illness. It could be medical. It could be financial. It could be spiritual. It could be something like that. Every human being is dealing with something, no matter who you are. And I've, I've been able to connect deeply with other human beings. Another thing is building relationship equity uh, is a big thing for me. And I, I always say relationship equity because a lot of people are transactional, especially with social media today versus relational. Right? They don't invest time to build up the relationship equity with people because people don't care about who, you know, they don't care about us until they know what we care about them. And so I'm always being the go-giver. So when I meet people, I get a chance to really discover who they are as a human being. And I take the time to get to know people. Like, you know, like, like I, have, I have your name in my phone here and I have multiple notes on you in, in my phone section about you. Uh-oh. Every time I see someone. <laughs> so what I do is I, I, I collect data points on people. Um, I, I, I listen when people talk about wedding anniversaries, birth dates, special events, their hobbies, their interests, things they want to do with their family or their children or their grandchildren. I'm always collecting data points on people. And so when I meet people, I, I, I get a chance to connect with people. About what, what values most of them in their life? What, what do they, how do they want to live their life? What do they see as a possibility for their life? So that'd be one key thing. I think another thing is that I'm very good with regards to turning crises into opportunities because I've had so much adversities and challenges. For example, you know, I remember um, being homeless, living on welfare for a few months. And uh, I was being sued by the banks because I co-signed a loan for two guys for business as a co-signer. And they defaulted and the banks came after me and litigated against me. And so I got evicted from my home. Um, I didn't have a bank account. I had no place to live. I was living on the streets. I was eating my next meal out of a garbage dumpster. And so I go get my welfare check. And I go pick it up in person because I didn't have a mailing address. And I remember I'd go see Roxanne, the social worker, and um, she would give me my welfare check. And I would go to a money mart to cash my welfare check. Now, here I am living in a first world country, right? And I'm living on less than $2.50 a day. Canadian. And I would go to the 7-Eleven convenience store and I would buy a hot dog and a super big gulp for $1.69. And that's what I'd live off of. And so today I'm very good at multiplying money. Like you, you know, I, I, I have a dollar today, I'll turn it into seven or $10. I'm very good at multiplying money because, and it's funny because people look at me today and they go, man, you know how to multiply money. Like you're really good at building financial net worth. And they're like, well, how did you, where'd you, where'd you go to school? I said, where'd I learn it? I learned to be on the street, going into a money mart to cash my welfare check and having to go to the 7-Eleven to eat every day to buy a hot dog and a super big gulp or Slurpee because that's all I had because either that or the garbage dumpster. And so what I, I find today that even when people, when I go and I train and develop people that are in you know startup mode and with companies, when people go out and they do crowdfunding or they go to an angel investor or venture capitalist or they go raise money and they got fifty thousand or hundred thousand dollars, they go out and buy some consultant or marketing person or get a coach and all that stuff, and they blow through the investor's capital fairly quickly. But it's the people who who've got that hustle and that grind that don't have anything; their backs against the wall. And it's a do or die world that they either got to make it or they, you know, they're going to go to zero or hero. And, and they got all these critics, and all these skeptics, and all these people say, you know, go get a real job. It's not going to work. Stop doing your dream. And when your back's against the wall and you got no alternative, you get very creative and very imaginative. 
like, and that's where I'm skilled with my mindset today is that I can see opportunities and I can do things that really move the needle in terms of measurable results because I know what it's like to not have any money. I know it's like to not have anybody give you a handout. Like is, I learned a long time ago, Michael, that nobody's coming to rescue me. Yeah. I need to rescue myself. And a lot of people today, especially with this global pandemic going on right now, this COVID-19, people are waiting for someone to step in like the government or family member or friend or relative to come rescue them, to come save them. Well, I got news for you. Nobody's coming to rescue you. That's right. And when you can believe that and develop that mindset that no one's coming to rescue you, that there's, you know, that that's the thing is that that's the t- turning point that no one was coming to rescue me. And so I had to learn to get very creative and very imaginative. Like when I would go out, you know, I had no formal education. So I would go out to these big corporations and I would go out and knock on their doors and, and get past the gatekeepers. Like I, I would, when I, when I had some money, I would invite the FedEx driver, the DHL driver, the UPS driver over to my apartment for a potluck dinner party. And they would come over. And why? Because I wanted to build relationship equity with the FedEx driver, the UPS driver, the DHL driver, because these men and women that were courier drivers were driving around all these industrial parks and all these financial districts of all these different uh, major cities. And they knew the gatekeepers when they're dropping off the FedEx packages to who the decision makers were. And so I thought if I get to know the, the courier drivers, they would tell me who Mary is and Jill is and stuff like that. And then they could tell me sometimes what was going on inside these companies so I could collect information because this is a lot of stuff happened before the internet. I used to go out and make 400 cold calls a day out of the telephone books, right? Um, so when it comes to prospecting or networking or recruiting, I know how to do that because I did it the hard way out of the phone books. Um, I used to go to the pay phones and I used, to have, I used to buy rolls of quarters from the bank and sit there and plug $40 in, in a day sometimes worth of quarters into a payphone just to make cold calls because my phone, my landline got disconnected. So I had to go to plan B, which was to use the payphone. You are an incredible human being, brother. Listen, it is, I think it's really that programming, right? It's, um, so I think I've told you that my, um, my dad was a political prisoner in Cuba and he mm-hmm. uh, was uh, part of uh, Batista's uh, um, uh, cabinet back then. And so when he went through, you know, it, it sort of got him to be a political prisoner. He was, ex- he was uh, released during a uh, prisoner exchange program during the Bay of Pigs. And so it was when my brother and I were born, it was always the idea that, you know, we were born with the fact that tomorrow's never promised, right? And so there is yeah. no safety net. And so whatever you sort of go, you go and do, and that's the passion. And so it, 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 was, it was really ingrained in a very, at a very early age. And I think that that really is part of the drive that, um, that I had. And also the idea of trying to understand that that is the reality, right? It's, it's sort of like anything can happen. I mean, look at what we're all, if, if we were all celebrating last year, none of us would have thought that this is what this world would have been that in, 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 in a year's time, right? Everyone's life has changed globally. Yes. And so when you start looking at this, it goes back. We were just talking about this right before we started, uh, we started taping this interview. It's the idea of what's that skill set when the world changes and what do you have to find in yourself for that? So it is something that we all possess. And sometimes it's, you know, you were talking about your, the environment earlier, that the environment is greater than your willpower. Sometimes the environment is what has you find your willpower and your strength. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well said. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting. I remember uh, going to a lot of seminars and workshops mm. and conferences, and, and sometimes I'd get free passes and sometimes I'd pay. And I would go there because I was just a sponge for wanting to learn. I was so hungry. And I still today is so hungry. And I would see these people that would be doing seminars or workshops or on panels, and they'd be talking about all the success. And I would just leave feeling depressed and defeated because I'm like, oh my gosh, I put them on a pedestal and I'd put these other, and I put myself in the pit. And, and that's why I became very effective with corporate training and training people because I realized that, okay, let's break this down. Like, 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 okay, so how did you do that? Because when I leave, I wanted to know, okay, what do I do tomorrow? I go to these seminars, I'd read these books and I'd learn from people, but then I'm thinking, okay, I get all these inspiring stories and information, but I don't know something that's practical. Like, okay, if you just tell me just to, just to read 10 pages a day, Okay, that's easy to do, easy not to do. I can put that into my calendar. I can have a book beside me every day and just get me reading 10 pages a day. If you tell me if I want to start to live an extraordinary life, if I start to put things into my calendar with reminders and I fall through on what's in my calendar, that's going to start to make progress in my life going forward right? Whether it's scheduling date nights to regular revenue generating activities, to, to travel, to prospecting, to whatever it is for my life and my business or working out, you know, somebody, sometimes people say, they go, you know, Darren, I have a New Year's goal, a New Year's resolution. I want to release 20 pounds and I want to get in the best physical shape of my life. I'm like, okay, great. That, let's make the goal specific, measurable, and actionable. Step number one, specific, measurable, actionable goal. Step number two is we have to link it to, um, you know, um, a strategy, and that strategy has to be, so if you want to work out four days a week, okay, great. Let's see it in your calendar. What date and what time, by when, so it's specific, measurable, actual, it's in your calendar. So that's step number two is the strategy, which is in your calendar. And then step number three is the accountability. See, most people don't achieve their goals and dreams because there's no accountability. So if, if, if you're going to the gym four days a week to work out, at the end of each workout, you take a photo of yourself or a selfie and you text it to a personal trainer or an accountability partner or a friend, right? And you say, look, I was at the gym today. Here's what I'm doing. Now you got accountability. You'll consistently work out because now you're at the gym four days a week. And then consistently compound it over a month, a quarter, a year, you'd be amazed at the results that you'll start to produce. And that's what happens to a lot of people is that they don't want to set, their, their goals are not specific, measurable, and actionable. And I always ask people, I'm like, okay, what do you really want in your life? And they go, well, I don't know. So how do you know what to ask for in your life if you don't know what you really want? Right? What if you could just be curious like a kid and just get a chance to be in a playful state, like playing a game, and discover what is it you really, really, really want in your life? I have over 7,000 written goals for my life, and that's what 7, inspires 000. me because, yeah, 7,000. That's insane. I love it. I love it. So, you know, and, and, and this, this might be something you've already touched on, but, you know, you've mentored and guided, as we said, over a million people. What's the one thing, and it probably is a very hard question, or the commonality that you've seen, one thing that you think people need to possess to be successful? Self-discipline. Uh, learning Self-discipline would be a key thing. Uh, the biggest thing is your mindset. It's it, you're, every day, your biggest comp. Like people always ask, they go, Darren, who's your competition? Like when I was traveling around the world doing corporate, who's your biggest competitor? I said, myself. That's what do you mean? I said, Every day, the game of life is one between my two ears. That's it's it. my internal self-talk, my mind chatter of what I say to myself. It's so important that it's that, it's that reoccurring dialogue that people don't realize that, you know, I'll give you an example. I was on a Zoom video call yesterday and I have uh, with Link Foundation, with our family foundation, we have a team of volunteers all over the world that can do con contribution time. 
And one thing I like about Zoom video conferencing is that everybody's got a front row seat. You can't hide in Zoom. That's and right. One of our volunteer participants, she's incredibly knowledgeable, but she doesn't like to speak up. And so I'm developing her in her global leadership skills. So I'm training developing her. And I said to her yesterday, I said to her on the call, I said, you know, I said, I won't mention her name because she might be listening to this, but I said to her, I said, um, you know, I said, here's something to consider. You're only hiding in your mind. Everybody else can see you. Because I used to believe that. Like when I was always hiding through life, I was, I always want, I didn't want, you know, I had very low self-confidence. I was always failing. I wasn't succeeding. So I, you know, when I had money, I was out in public. When I didn't have any money, I was hiding behind, you know, my four walls, of my place. I never went out in public. And people I could always tell in my community, I was like, oh, Darren's got money. He's out in public right now. Oh, Darren must be broke. He's hiding. And, and, I, and I thought I was playing this game. I thought nobody else could see that. And so what happens is a lot of times people, you know, they hide in their mind, but yet they're visible to the public. And that was a big breakthrough for my life, realizing that, oh my gosh, I think I'm hiding, but yet everybody else can still see me. And so when I shared that with her yesterday on the Zoom video call, she, she had a major breakthrough afterwards. She, she private text messaged me and she said, thank you so much for you know, sharing that with me because I thought I was hiding and nobody could see me, but yet I was only hiding in my mind. God, that's powerful. That's amazing. So I have another very simple question for you. <laughs> What's the greatest lesson you've ever learned in your career? Greatest lesson. Um, yeah. Never forget where you come from. Oh, I love that one. Um, without integrity, nothing works. Yep. With, without integrity, nothing works. There's, there's no workability without integrity. And I've, I've seen so many people that, um, you know, I met a gentleman who's passed away now, a mentor many years ago. And he said to me, he said, Darren, um, if I can pass on something to you that can radically change your life, that's something I'd like you to always remember. He said, Darren, time will either promote you or time will expose you. It's just a matter of time. You will get promoted or you will get exposed. It's just a matter of time. And I see people all the time that will cut corners or cheat or lie or steal or do things and what happens is they can get away with it today, but compounded over a period of time, they'll get exposed. And, you know, I've seen people when I was traveling on the road a lot, you know, that would commit to, you know, be doing affairs or people will cheat people or lie from people and all that stuff. And yeah, you can get away with it today. But guess what? There's just a amount of time. And I see people, you know, over a period of time, they get exposed. And I've always remembered that time will either promote you or time will expose you. It's just a matter of time. I've never heard that one. That one's amazing. I love that one. That's powerful. It really is. So I want to ask you about your philanthropy. You mentioned about your, uh, your family foundation, and I know you've been doing amazing work. I mentioned the school that you've built in Uganda. Tell me a little bit about your family foundation and what your mission is. So I looked at my, over the last few years, I've looked at my planetary assignment, and I call it my planetary assignment. I'll give you a quick example. Um, I'm not a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. um, I met a gentleman, uh, I won't mention his name. He's on the Forbes 400 list. He's one of the wealthiest Americans in the United States of America. And I had a chance to meet him one time. He flew in on a private jet, met me in an airport. And um, so I did all this research and studied to go meet with this guy. When I, went on. I was quite nervous, right? Going to meet this high profile guy. And I thought I'd get to meet his whole team and his whole entourage. I, I go to see him and it's just him and I for an hour and a half in a breakfast meeting. And I walk in there and he had all these newspapers and all these magazines all around him. And I was like, wow, what, 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 what's this all about? Like, I thought this guy was really optimistic and he's reading all these newspapers, all these magazines. 
And I walked in there and I said, excuse me, so I said, can I, can I just ask you a question? I'm just curious. I'm trying to make sense of this. Why do you have all these magazines, all these newspapers? Like, isn't this a distraction? Like, doesn't this take you off your mission, your focus? And he looked at me and goes, Darren, I watch the news channels every day. And I look at all the media every day. And I look at what's wrong in the world. And he goes, that's my to-do list from God. Wow. And he goes, if you can look at in your life as a planetary assignment of, of looking where there's problems or challenges or heartbreak in the world and dedicate your life to a cause greater than yourself, you will be abundantly rewarded. So as I was traveling around the world, I realized that, oh my gosh, you know, like the secret to living is giving. The secret to living is giving. And so what we did in 2019, Tatiana and I, we created our own private family foundation called Link Foundation called Leaders Yielding to New Knowledge, which is a global philanthropy organization. And between 2020 and 2030, so over the next 10 years, we've dedicated 100 million US dollars that we're going to raise towards global philanthropy projects. And so our first project is actually over in Uganda, East Africa. And the intention there was I've had multiple trips over to the African continent, um, doing corporate training over there, doing entrepreneurship training, you know, all over the continent of Africa. And I really fell in love with some of the people over there because I'd meet these people with absolutely nothing, living out in a rural village in a mud hut, uh, living on grasshoppers and crickets and insects for survival. And yet they were some of the most generous, loving, happy human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And sitting around that campfire with no electricity, no running water at nighttime, underneath a bonfire, um, you know, as they called it the five, five billion star, you know, mm -hmm. we go to nice four or five star hotels, they are under five billion stars. And just the humility and the authenticity and vulnerability of these human beings. And I just thought, I want to, I want to contribute to some of these villages by providing education for the next generation. And so we've, um, you know, at link.org, ly2nk.org or ugandachildren.com, ugandachildren.com is a website. We have a whole plan um, over the next 10 years of what we plan to do. And it's interesting because when, we, when you set the intention, you put it out there that you want to do some extraordinary things in the world, some really, really big things, what happens, you, you attract people into your life that are like-minded people. And so I've attracted in the last few years, some different family offices and some very influential people around the world that have 250, 500 year, 600 year. In fact, I was just talking to somebody yesterday out of Houston, Texas. Um, his family has a thousand year documented legacy plan for their foundation of legacy, a thousand year documented detailed plan, a thousand years. And so what we're looking at is global philanthropy. So we, we Tatiana and I, we acquire uh, income producing assets for cash flow and in turn use that cash flow to acquire more assets. So we're all about building financial wealth, but the financial wealth is gonna to go to our foundation for global legacy. And we're looking at a 250 year legacy plan for global philanthropy projects. And so we're only in the first year right now of really starting the structure and the foundation. It's really kind of interesting because we're in a global pandemic and we're laying the foundation in year 2020 to do this. And uh, so I'm excited that we're, we're doing this for global philanthropy projects to really take on solving some big challenges and problems going forward into the future. And we've dedicated our life to a cause greater than ourselves as our planetary assignment. And it's just, it's something that just feels so good doing that is that this is what we want to do is that, um, you know, it, it's our, it's our global promise to the world, which is global philanthropy. And I've always learned that, you know, when you can do better in life, 
it's always important to pay it forward and pass it on. But I encourage people all the time is that if you're struggling in your life or business, dedicate your life to a cause greater than yourself. Get out of the way of yourself and start focusing on solving a, a problem in your community, in your neighborhood, in the city or town or village you live in. Dedicate your life to you know, building a park or building a school or building an orphanage or doing something for your church or something. Just focus on something and you'd be amazed at what can happen in your life. That's an incredible, incredible message. I mean, I love the idea of planetary assignment. I mean, that is when you start thinking about someone having a thousand year plan on how their foundation or their legacy continues on, that's extraordinary. That's extraordinary to sort of have that amount of forward thinking, generational thinking, multi-generational thinking. That is to me just an extraordinarily powerful statement. I mean, that really is, forget about forward thinking. That, that's thinking that changes the world quite literally. It does. Yeah, it really does. And these people are so forward thinking and, and, and it's right to the finite detail. Like they, they have a whole life team of people around them, advisors, advisory councils, and they, they punch holes in it. They're always planning and master planning and looking at things, best case scenario, worst case scenario, doing scenario planning, looking at the economics, looking at history. You know, they've got different experts with different backgrounds and expertise that are, that are constantly advising these different men and women. And it's just fascinating to look at that. And that's what I love doing is looking at thinking, you know, how can we forward think going forward, you know, visionary and then bringing in the integrators to run the day-to-day operations of doing stuff in terms of our planetary assignment to make a difference in the world. So, you know, Titi and I buy a lot of real estate. We're, we're active and passive in different real estate and we invest in a lot of different things. But the purpose of those income producing assets for cash flow is to, to benefit philanthropy. And I that's what it. we want to do. I love it. So one final question for you, Darren. In your book of life, what's this current chapter called? Good question. You know, it's interesting. I would say um, ripple of impact Mm. is what it's called. Ripple of impact is realizing now that, uh, you know, the world has changed with this global pandemic. Uh, There's a lot of uncertainty right now. Every human being on the planet is dealing with something in their personal lives. And I think that, uh, you know, people are starving. People are drowning in knowledge today, but they're starving for wisdom. There's wow. so much information on the internet today that people are bombarded with so much information. They don't know what's fact. They don't know what to believe or not believe. And people today are drowned in knowledge, but they're starving for wisdom. And I think if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, his theory of his pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the top is self-actualization of human potential. And I think that, um, you know, if I could create a ripple of impact with people by having more deep, meaningful conversations so many people, it's transactional and it's surface conversations. You meet somebody on social media, LinkedIn is an example, somebody friends request you and a minute later, it's in your inbox, they're pitching you on some opportunity Yep. And versus getting to know you as a human being and build that relationship equity with you. And I think that people today, uh, they, they're so fast paced around the world, so many people that they miss out on the relationships with, which is really, really important with people and through relationships comes opportunity, but people step over. People, people don't get related. They automatically just jump into action. And without relatedness, action doesn't sustain itself over long periods of time. 
because there's no relatedness. And that's what I always find with, with what I'm doing in business is that when, when the possibility goes out, when people are not focused on their distraction, I always go back to the relatedness of how am I connecting, like, like how I always reach out to you and I'm acknowledging you and recognizing you, Michael, and other people with like EXP, EXP World Holdings, because every day you're on the front lines being in service to people. And so I've got your back and I always acknowledge and recognize you and let you know that you're not alone. Because at times as human beings, um, you know, the more successful somebody comes, the more alone you feel. It's mm-hmm. like uh, people that are in the Ironman race, when they're out running a race, in the beginning, there's all the, you know, people are cheering for you at the start line and they're cheering you on. But as you start to run that race, there's less and less people until you get to the finish line. And it's that gap that you're in between the start and the finish line is where that mental toughness, that mindset, and that focus and that determination and perseverance really matters. Because there's days where you're going to want to quit. You're going to want to give up. You're going to want to say, man, I just need, you know, like, like I remember, not, you know, earlier this year, I was one day I was under a lot of pressure. And I remember the FedEx driver came to my house and rang my doorbell and delivered a FedEx package to me. And he goes, you know, I, sh- I just love where you live and you're so positive. I said, you know, someday, sir, I feel like being the FedEx driver. Mm. I, said, I said, no disrespect. I'm not, not no disrespect. But some days I feel like just being the FedEx driver. Some days I wish you were in my situation. You know what I mean? So yeah. at times we go through those things where sometimes like, man, like you, you just, because the more you take on, the more accountability, and the more responsibility you have as a human being. And by design as human beings, we don't want to have that accountability and responsibility, right? We want to take the, you know, comfort, comfort is always waiting for you. Right. Comfort is always waiting for you. Comfort is always knocking at your door. And the key thing is whether you're going to take that or not, whether you're going to answer that call to just be comfortable because it's so easy in our society just to be comfortable. Darren, I got to tell you something, you know, I've always felt as though you had my back in, in the period of time that we've known each other. You've been a great inspiration. As I said in the beginning of this podcast, this was when I actually did some research on you. It was just, my God, this man is just extraordinary. And so, you know, really humbly when I was mentoring folks in the business and things like that, it was always the fact of wanting to try to reach more people. And that was the impetus to do this podcast I have to tell you, after today, I now know why I did this podcast was to have this conversation with you that's going to be changing a lot of people's lives and really have the inspiration that you bring to so many and have the ability to have that be a channel to reach more people. I can't thank you enough for this conversation, for who you are, for your friendship, for your support. And I am just so thankful to know you as a human being, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm uh, deeply touched and deeply honored and grateful to be here. It's uh, such a blessing to be here, and I'm deeply moved by that. Thank you, sir. And uh, on this American Thanksgiving Day, it really is thankful to have you in my life, to know you, and to have you as a support. So thank you for that. Awesome. Thank you. I believe Thank you, brother. And thank you, all of you, for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Michael Valdez.